And I want to thank uh, that fellow down under. Thank you very much, pal. Yes, you're tuned to Radio BCC, and this is the Happy Hour, your reliable source of national and international news, brought to you by three blokes who think they know what they're talking about, and a guest who usually does. Tim Blair from the Central Coast, Simon Collins from Sydney, welcome. I'm Nick Cater. Later on, we'll be crossing to the Hermit Kingdom of Western Australia to hear from Caroline DeRusso in Perth about the latest developments in the movement for secession from the leper colonies over here in the east. But first, let's seize this opportunity to talk about something other than COVID and focus on the big news of the week, which, of course, was the historic agreement between Britain, the US and their pals down under, which from this point on will be forever known as AUKUS. Uh, now, Tim, look... Uh, in the newspaper game, it's often hard, isn't it, to when you get a news story that's as big as this one, to find a word that is big enough to capture it. I mean, most newspapers finished up with the word "packed," which is a, a nice word, four letters, but um, doesn't really do the job for me. Oh, there's none of them are really big enough to do it justice. You've got you've got terms like you know agreement or um, you know uh, understanding or these various sort of phrases, but. Uh, it is enormous, and it's a it's a deepening, obviously, of our traditional links to our two most historic partners in uh, in times of conflict. It was interesting the way all the statements from uh, Boris, Biden, and Prime Minister Scott Morrison. No one actually mentioned China directly, but it was in every line, really, in a, in another sense, wasn't it? It was, but this is an alliance not to save. A particular territory from attack, but to save freedom itself from attack. You know, it's a kind of spirit that the water, World War Two leaders showed. They, they knew they were in a fight, not just, you know, for parochial border protection or any of those things, but to save the very values themselves. We're getting fairly deep fairly early. Simon, you might want to bring us down to earth. Well, yeah, I think I think uh, when you said, when, you, when you're evoking memories of the Second World War, um, I mean, it does have a, it does have a, it does smack a bit of the band getting back together, you know. Uh, if that doesn't mm. trivialise it a bit, but, and it's hard not to think in terms of an, you know, which does sound a bit regressive. I have to say, it does, it does smack a bit of sort of Anglospheric, um, you know. It's historic in that it's, you know, what qualifies you to be part of this alliance? Everyone knows that what's really the country that's probably almost as missed, maybe even more pissed off than the. Than the Chinese about this are the French, who because who, they they feel they've been left out again, you know, mm. um, and they they always they always see these things in in terms of an Anglospheric arrangement more than anything else because they're qualified they've got some they've got some pretty serious nuclear capability and you know they're heart of Europe and and then the you know three bloody English speaking countries get together again and um, get all the credit for it so uh, you know we get to that later on maybe talk about the uh, the uh, the possible uh, repercussions with our, our relationships with France. How does that compare to China? But anyway, mate, uh, you've got a bit of experience over there in Paris, Simon. Um, do you reckon they might, uh, you know, unprecedented? I know, but do you reckon the French might riot over this? Oh, well, you know, the French they'll 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 riot. They'll start breaking paving stones about anything. Give them half a chance, you know. Uh, they'll start smashing up the streets and, and wearing their uh, gilet jaune um, at, at the prospect of. Um, you know, of what they could do, of course, is that, and they are actually, there are, I have some seriously, there are some reports of possible industrial action to protest against um, this alliance. Um, and they, what they could do, I mean, there's, there's not much that the French could do to upset us, I suppose. I mean, you know, what they could they, you know, they, they've, already, they've already played rugby against us. There's not much else they could do in the sporting arena. We could, they could, they could ban us from the World Bull Championships, I suppose. Oh. Um or well, they could put a, a trade embargo <laughs> on Vegemite, but everyone knows that the only, the only French kids who eat Vegemite are the ones who have an, a nut allergy and can't put um, Nutella on their croissants. By the way, Vegemite goes great on, on croissants. But um, it's really not that frightening, the prospect of a trade war. With, but if they, one thing they could do is they could, they could put um, 
they could put trade embargo on our uranium because France is like 90% nuclear powered. They can't, they, can't, they can't make a croissant over there without Australian uranium. Well, so, I mean, the good, the know, good thing is like the crayfish uh, of Western Australia. Yes. You know, we, we could actually use our own uranium here, right? And, and, uh, and that's a great thing this week. You know, we pressed the nuclear button. We've got the nuclear option suddenly. I mean, we've suddenly gone... And we did some polling on this, right? So last March, 38% of people supported the idea of nuclear propulsion, which we thought was a little bit thin. But we polled again this week, the end of this week, after after Scott Morrison's announcement. Guess what? Seventy three percent want nuclear propelled propelled subs. So we we we've, we've crossed the Rubicon. Nuclear is the word that's uh, you'd never thought you'd actually hear it in an official announcement from an Australian government that we had nuclear anything. So that's a huge step forward. There was a telling line from um, a chap at ANU who's a, a nuclear physicist and. Uh, teachers in that in that field and he said uh, after the announcement that we will need to train people as nuclear engineers so they can you know maintain and run these uh, these uh, submarines now when you've got nuclear engineers you can't just have them working on submarines can you there's, there's other fields so I know that exactly. everyone was at pains to point out that this is not linked to uh, a future move towards nuclear power if you've got the engineers to do it, and uh, and we suddenly see that, hey, you know, these submarines move around without killing everybody, you know, unless they want to, um, uh, people might uh, be uh, much more further inclined to um, embrace nuclear power. Well, yeah, and um, and in fact, it's not, it's not often I say this, but um, I was quite Im- Im- impressed by uh, Jackie Lambie uh, in this respect. Although I have to say, you said it's not often you hear uh, politicians talking about nuclear uh, nuclear things but in fact she didn't she used the gw bush uh, pronunciation which is nuclear and she says nuclear i think scott morrison did the same didn't he i think uh, i think yeah they, it's like the third syllable uh, he, was, he was closer to he was kind of halfway between the two he said he sat on the uh, pronunciation fence a little bit there yeah but um, she was um but she's got no illusions about it she, quite seriously for a minute she you know, she's, she talks, you know, it's about time we, we, we started talking sensibly about a nuclear industry. We've got everything set up. We've got the mark. We've got, we've already got huge uranium mines, but they're under capacity at the moment. But they could, you know, we, we, we don't even have to build. It's not like building uh, wind farms. We've already got the, we've already got the, the yeah. big mines set up there. If we open, if we had a few more mines and we started using our own uranium, we could become, you know, we could become, we have, Australia has 30% of the world's uranium. That means we've got a bigger share of uranium than Saudi Arabia ever had in oil. We could be the Saudi Arabia of uranium and plutonium. We've also got the best uranium. That's right. And New Zealand can carry on being the Saudi Arabia of milk. Uh, so we'll, we'll carry on. I, 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 there is nothing not to love about this development, is there? You know, it's, it's terrific. You know, we, we finally had a decisive move of leadership that will get us uh, nuclear propulsion, if not eventually nuclear power, and and has obviously um, annoyed China. But it's also annoyed the Greens. I mean, I, I just what was it that Adam Bant said, Tim, about these? He's not in favour of these nuclear-propelled subs, is he? No, he referred to them as floating Chernobyls, that there will be every Australian city. Every Australian <laughs> city. He didn't say, just say coastal cities. Every Australian city will um, have a floating Chernobyl in its midst. Now, Bendigo, you know, Dubbo, <laughs> good luck getting the sub to those joints. Uh, you know, that'd, that'd be an, a pretty effective uh, travel method, yeah. I think the Greens the Greens are in principle in favour of uh, improving our, you know, of, 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 of uh, augmenting our existing defence. But I think they'd like the submarines to be wind-powered. I think they'd like them to have um, sails protruding from the... Uh, Above the surface, so we could be wind-powered submarines. Well, surely this should be the selling point, shouldn't it? Not not nuclear as such. I mean, that's such an ugly word to them. But the, these are these are zero emission underwater warfare solutions, aren't they? I think that's what we. Well, the Greens. That's what we. The Greens. Um, the only clean energy initiatives they like are the ones that don't work or don't exist. If it's there, tested and proven and safe. 
they despise it for some reason. It's incredibly odd. And and to and to use Chernobyl as an example of why we shouldn't go down the nuclear path, is Adam Bant historically alert enough to know that Chernobyl, the disaster at Chernobyl wasn't caused by the fact that it's a, a nuclear facility. It was caused by the fact that it was in the Soviet Union, which couldn't build <laughs> apartment buildings that stayed upright, couldn't build a decent car, and uh, couldn't manage you know, basically anything. And uh, are you surprised? I mean, they're the world's least safe airline. Is that a reason to abandon Qantas? Do, do, we, do, we abandon, do we abandon nursing homes just because they failed in Victoria last year? No, of course not. <laughs> well, they've just, they've done some more research into Chernobyl. They now, there's now a lot of evidence that those, reactor, those reactors were actually made out of, the walls were made out of chocolate. So, you know. <laughs> uh, listen, guys, I, I, we do want to get more foreign uh, reaction to this from Simon. I know he's on our foreign desk. Um, but I, I'm not wanting to bring too much of a downer to this, but I think we should address uh, the President of the United States' um, apparent problem identifying who he'd struck a treaty with. Have a listen. And I want to thank uh, that fellow down under. Thank you very much, pal. Appreciate it, Mr. Prime Minister. I think the problem for me was that he wasn't just struggling with the name of the Prime Minister, but the country. He didn't, I mean, down under. He, he didn't make the mistake, obviously, that I think Bush made of confusing us with Austria, but it did seem to me he was a little unclear which southern hemisphere country he was striking the deal with. Well, that's at least he, got, at least he didn't get the continent wrong then. You know, at least he got the, the, that region right. You know, I suspect... You know, he, he, it was a 50, it's a fifty-fifty in his mind. It could have been New Zealand or Australia, so he just thought, "I'll go for I'll go for down under." That probably covers it. And he um, he got the gender right as well, so you know he he possibly wasn't thinking of Jacinda Saint Jacinda of Ardern. So uh, that that that's a tick. It's interesting though. If he just if he just said um, "thank you, mate" instead of "pal," that nobody would have nobody would have questioned that he that he that he'd got it right. He just didn't use the M word, you know. Yeah, but again, wanting to live on the bright side. At least it was pal. It wasn't you dog-faced pony soldier or anything quite like that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but staying on, on matters overseas, uh, Simon, I know you've, you've been thinking hard about the reaction in Beijing and have got some uh, words framed around it. Well, before, but before, we, before we leave the US, I want to just talk a bit about, you know, everybody, look, we, everybody agrees that, that the AUKUS is a wonderful thing. It's great for Australia. It's great for America too, but I tell you, Americans won't know anything about it. You know, I, mar I was married to an American for years. I lived in Washington, D.C. I was the one who told her university-educated parents that Australia had fought in Vietnam. They had no idea. Americans just don't know. We're a little bit better informed because of things like the news and the social media and things these days. But the only fly in the ointment, it seems to me, let's, let's face it, Biden's not going to be around that long. But the deal with America is a great idea. But the deal with American, the American military, the only fly in the ointment is, do we really want to be on the same military side as the guy who is currently heading up the, the commander in chief of the American military, General Milley? <laughs> as, as, you know, um, this guy, it's, you know, the chick, his chickens are coming home to roost now. If you look, if you do some research about this guy, he, he, he fronts up on the cameras really well. He's got a chest full of ribbons and medals. When I first saw that, you know who it reminded me of? It reminded me of Idi Amin. Remember, he used to cover himself <laughs> with millets, with medals. And, and, and the only difference is, when you look at their comparative histories, even though Millie's been a, 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 life, a, career, a career officer, Idi Amin got a lot, killed a lot more people. Uh, uh, Millie's record is all about, uh, he's an absolute uh, desk, desk soldier. His biggest achievement so far has been the introduction, the reintroduction of the pinks and greens uniform from the Second World War. He revived it. Pink. And that's it. Yeah, I mean, he's, and he's also the one that said that American, uh, you know, officers should should be aware of white rage. And he's more, cons he's rewritten, you know, uh, The Art of War by that Chinese guy, um, whatever. Millie's got his own military, the Millie's military science, it turns it all on its head. It says things like, you know, according to him, 
how you operate. If your opponents are massively underarmed and underfunded, you have to level the playing field by giving them hundreds of helicopters and hundreds of night goggles and tanks and you know. And when you know that you are massively outnumbering the enemy, retreat. Uh, you know, it's, it's very interesting. <laughs> I, I don't know whether we really, you know, let's let's form and let's let's hope Orcus when it actually kicks in and gets some traction that he's not the guy our officers and America, Britain's officers have to answer to. Well, for all his faults, Simon, um, I don't think uh, General Milley has ever received an award for cannibalism, which is uh, where I think Eddie Amin got most of his little decorative uh, baubles. He is an odd chap, but the controversy of, uh, about his uh, contacting the Chinese at one point because he was so concerned about uh, a, a strike by Donald Trump on the Chinese last year, uh, I think we've got to take that with a big grain of salt because the source is Bob Woodward, who's specialised ever since Watergate in talking a lot of crap. Well, you say that, but there haven't been any there haven't been any vehement denials from Millie about that yet. Good point. Good point. I mean, you know, the, that's a. I mean, you know, you that was the that was the other thing that in his that's the final chapter of his, of his military the the military science according to Millie is is um. And you know, never you know, uh, the uh, the art of surprise. That's that's history. No one does that anymore. That's so old school. It's the opposite. You need tell them when you're coming. Tell them, <laughs> tell them when you're about to attack. And tell them, tell them when you're about to withdraw as well. Yes, yes. Look, uh, Simon, how has this gone down in Beijing? Well, um, if you don't mind, I've, I've sort of I've tried to condense this into a, a sort of more portable format. I've written a. A little limerick about this. Would you like to hear it? Go ahead. Yes, please. I tried to. We can always edit it out. Tr- we can always use the Simon button. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. This, this, this is a pretty. This is a serious contender for the Simon button. Um, um, I've tried to compress the, you know, the events of a few events of the last few days into this respected, uh, 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 long-established and respected poetic uh, genre. When he turned on the news, Xi Jinping almost choked on his deep-fried bat wing. No, no, underground, no underground silos will save Aussie guilos, was the headline next day in Beijing. Very, very good. What about we replace bat, bat wing with pangolin? <laughs> you know. Well, it's, it's not quite a perfect rhyme, but I'll what go What happened it. to that pangolin, by the way? I mean, he was much maligned. No, he's... They're, they're, they're okay. He's back on the menu. <laughs> well, yeah, I've actually I've actually eaten bat. By the way, I think I'm one of the few people on this who will ever be on this program who's actually munched on a bat. Really? In uh, yeah, in um, was a, a little island called Palau where they love. Yeah, I've been fun. there. I've been there. Uh, just in off Malaysia. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And Palau, uh, bats were a delicacy, and uh, I was on I was on some sort of travel junket with a bunch of other journalists, and they told us we were going to a bat restaurant. And I kind of imagined the bat might be ground up in some fashion into a stew or whatever, but oh no, it was just like a soup with a whole damn bat in it looking at you. And um, <laughs> and they instructed me how to eat it, and uh, you, you sort of you go through, you go through the chest cavity if it ever comes up, um, but. Uh, it's an unusual flavour, and I'll just say, if you like the taste of bat, well, that's really great because that flavour is going to be with you for a long time. <laughs> if, if you don't like the taste of bat, it's a, it's the same deal. Have we exhausted the, the, the topic of? Not uh, quite. No, I don't think so. Not I don't quite, think so. because we've now got to consider the legacy of one of our great prime ministers, Malcolm Turnbull. Uh-huh. Now, he, of course, was the author of the diesel subs plan to save his friend Christopher Pine from annihilation in Adelaide. Now that this is gone, now that we're getting, you know, proper subs that aren't don't aren't powered by Massey Ferguson engines from the fifties, now that we're getting proper nuke subs, where does that leave Turbul's legacy? What else is there from all his time, not just in power in as the Prime Minister, but in politics in general? What has he left us with? Well he will of course claim uh, credit for the same-sex marriage uh, proposal, but of course that, as we know, was set in place by his predecessor Tony Abbott. I, somehow, I don't think Tony's going to be fighting him for that one, though. <laughs> so, 
<laughs> I reckon that he'll probably put that on his CV. We do have uh, those crappy we... light bulbs, Nick. He did. I'll never forget those. A lot of people have forgotten that he was Environment Minister. I was, uh, I was, I was offshore when that happened. Tell me about the light bulbs. I can't remember. I couldn't see anything at the time. Yeah, they ban- he banned illumination effectively, and um, we went to those fluoro. Oh, is it fluoro or those long-lasting crap ones that don't actually last that long and uh, more expensive to boot, and uh, mm. cast everyone in a grim sort of pall of darkness, which is basically how Malcolm wants us to live, evidently, and. Um, and I remember at the time people were stockpiling the old-fashioned, uh, you know, effective and uh, and time-proven lights. Uh, I've got, I think, 24, 28 still lying around here. So uh, I'm good for another few years until we go full on for the uh, turbul, turbul illumins. Well, that you know, you, you know, you, we might have given. I hope he, I hope Johannes Leek listens to this uh, podcast because we we might have given him a tremendous cartoon. Then a picture of Turnbull looking miserable. And above his head is the is the, you know, is the, the 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 cartoon cliche the light bulb, but 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 he's what he's actually thinking is, it was it was supposed to be, it was supposed to be a good idea, mm. not my legacy. <laughs> his light bulb moment wasn't as good as that of Thomas Edison, no. that's for sure. Um, he's not the brightest bloke, Malcolm. <laughs> but look, I mean, there's one person that is probably celebrating from beyond the grave. Um, I mean, Malcolm Fraser now uh, can lay claim to not being the worst Malcolm to occupy the lodge, <laughs> which is a, a, a tremendous thing. Um, speaking of which, I saw Kevin Rudd popped his head up on the 7.30 report on this topic yesterday, no doubt, um, explaining how this was all his hard work. Uh, but um, what is it with the ABC and white privilege? Whenever they discuss the topic of China, they always call on their favourite commentator, Hugh White. Let him go on for ages and ages about how we're making a huge mistake siding with our good old chums in America and Britain and how badly this will be seen in Asia and how we've set back our Chinese relations for a decade. That seems to be the ABC view on this, which is another reason to celebrate. AUKUS, AUKUS, or Hawks are us, as I think we should call it. Yes, the, the ABC is rather fixated. Just on Kevin Rudd, I'm fascinated by his um, Murdoch paranoia videos that he puts up on YouTube and uh, Twitter. And there's a particular vocal quality. And I was trying to learn how to imitate it because it, it's, a, it's a kind of restrained rage masked in extremely mild tones, forced mild tones. And the way you get to that, and it's not through any physical aspect of speech, You've got to kind of clench your jaw a bit and adopt this sing-songy kind of pattern. But the way you get there is through creative visualisation. You've got to imagine you're the sort of person who believes that your kitchen's been taken over by invisible aliens and they're meddling with all the appliances. And you've contacted authorities and told them of this. And they've responded by sending people to perhaps take you to a facility that cares for, cares for those who suffer these conditions. Now, you can't lose control at that point. You can't start yelling and screaming because that will confirm the diagnosis that you are indeed a crazy person. The tiny, sane remnant of your mind is imploring you to keep a lid on it. So you tell them in a a very Rudd-esque, mild way, they keep playing with the toaster. Why do they keep turning on the dishwasher? The, you know, the, the vitamizer hasn't worked since last week. And you've got to keep it mild. You've got to keep that sort of that tense, mild, I want to scream and rage. You've got, to, you've got to hold it at least in check until you're in the van and the doors are closed. One of the, one of the downsides of the internet and email and social media, in my mind, Tim, is that it's all in black and white, right? I mean, in the old days, you as a newspaper journalist, you'd see one of these people coming because their, their, their missive would arrive scrawled on page after page of full scat paper yeah. in green ink. Yes. I'm just thinking, when we, you know, I don't think, if we're going to talk about, while we're talking about Murdoch, um, I don't know whether you guys have heard, this is more of a question really than, a, than an opinion I want to give here, is um, have, you, have you heard recently, in the last 24 hours it's been announced in the UK, that um, hot on the heels of, of that station GBGB GB News, 
which was only launched six months ago. Um, Murdoch organization, they're, they're launching another, they're launching a, a channel called Talk News in the UK, which will apparently run here as well. It's a Murdoch uh, operation, and it'll. I don't know whether it runs as a totally. Separate no, I think it's. I think it's running through Sky. That's my understanding of it, but I haven't. Lo- I haven't looked is at it, it a great Sky? deal. But this. This is probably tied in with um, our global signing of Piers Morgan, who's going to be um, yeah. yeah running across yes, all exactly. platforms. I guess that's. I guess you could say that's the, that's the price of it. We get we get Morgan <laughs> foisted on on us. Um, and he's he is he is he is he is the broadcasting equivalent in the UK. Of Marmite, you know they got Marmite. They say they describe things as Marmite if they completely like Brexit mm. was a Marmite issue. It mm. divided the whole population. And Morgan, Morgan is a Marmite broadcaster, um, and I suspect he would be here as well. Um, I suspect Rupert, Rupert Murdoch's a very competitive businessman. We love him for that and uh, and whatever. But uh, I think he realises that he has got growing problems with you know the arrival of things like radio. B's double C, and um, <laughs> he clearly wants to step up his efforts against it. But um, anyway, well, it's, I, it's, I was I was surprised that they they talked about importing. Uh, I would have thought he would have made a beeline to uh, to your door, Nick, and said, "Listen, we want to buy when it's cheap." We well, you know, you we're open to offers. I'd, I'd just like to, my own negotiations to get peers to uh, to be part of this. Uh, they they faltered very early <laughs> when uh, we heard how much he wanted. And it was a bit over our budget, let's just say, by about by about five million quid. Well, let's go for Piers Ackerman instead. Mm, yeah, we as we say, yeah, we got our own, we, we've got our own Piers. We got Ackerman. He's just as good. In fact, he's a lot he's a lot more likable. He definitely is, and he's a better sailor. And he gave my first job in Australia. Um, okay, well, you're listening to Radio Four and Double C, and uh, <laughs> we'll be back in a moment with our guest from the West. And now it's a great pleasure to welcome to the podcast from Western Australia, from Perth, Caroline DeRusso, a woman of strong opinions, commentator with The Spectator and other publications, regular commentator on Sky News and 6PR. Caroline, welcome to Radio BCC. Gents, lovely to be with you. Now, we, we want you to tell us exactly what, what, what the heck is going on over that there, because we have no idea. I think we get more news out of Pyongyang than we do out of Perth right now. It seems a little hermit kingdom is going on. Just update us. What is the latest? Well, um, it is a hermit kingdom, or as I like to call it, the Truman Show. Um, we, we are basically our own little place, totally isolated from the rest of Australia. We have um, actually on the ground here, we have no um, we have no real restrictions at all. We go about our daily business, um, but no one's really allowed to come in and no one's really allowed to go out. Well, I qualify that. You're allowed to come in uh, if you're here for the grand final next weekend, but um, if you've got a relative who is sick and you need to come in from New South Wales, um, you're you're prohibited from coming into Western Australia on compassionate grounds. Yeah, well, a terrible example of that. It's it, it, Fred Paul who joined us last week on yes. this podcast. His mother sadly passed away uh, in the week. Um, yep. So his father had to go home to an empty house, first time in 60 years. Fred's instinct, of course, was to fly over and comfort him, but he can't. He's not allowed, mm-hmm. right? No, he's just he's just not allowed. And and it doesn't matter if you're double vaccinated, it doesn't matter if you're quarantined, it doesn't matter if you know you will sacrifice a bull to Emperor McGowan, you are not allowed to come into the state from New South Wales, even on compassionate grounds. And and, and yet this is the party, the Labour Party that claims itself to be the party of compassion. Yeah, when it suits them, correct. <laughs> They're the ones. And 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 to add insult to injury, uh Tim's going to come in in a sec, but let me just play you. I think this is your premier, Mark McGowan, right? So yesterday, you know, when the Prime Minister announced we were going to build a nuclear-propelled subs, he got all anxious because they weren't coming to Perth. Have a listen. Today, the Liberals and Nationals have turned their backs on Western Australia and West Australian businesses and West Australian workers. What's with this man? He, 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 says, he says that the Libs and Nats have have turned them, their backs on WA. Wait a minute, I thought WA turned its backs on us. And- well, we did. We took competitive federalism a little too far and we fell out of, well, 
the Federation. Um, I'm look. I can understand why he has said that, said this politically um, and for the very parochial um, population here of WA. It plays very well. Mark McGowan v the federal government, um, and Mark McGowan has carried on as if West Australia is its own little state, um, and he's only really interested in the federal government when he needs to dip into the joint bank account. Otherwise, he's he's not too interested in what's going on um, in the rest of uh, rest of Australia. Um, look, he's part of national cabinet. He goes in, he agrees things, he walks out, and he walks away from it. So he's he's been recalcitrant for the best part of um, the last twelve months. And, and then he gets all upset when he's not front of the queue, you know, to get the candy out of the submarine contract. Um, and it's, look, it's, it's just base politics. It's, it's nothing else. And, um, and, and most people can, you know, well, not most people, but, you know, if you, if you just look at this for what it is, uh, you can't be surprised that the federal government um, is, is not sending it this way. You know, it's been in South Australia. There's no reason for it necessarily to leave South Australia. West Australia hasn't done anything, um, you know, to um, to try and facilitate it. They just want it. They didn't get it, so they're having a whinge. Caroline, um, it's nice to see you um, not behind bars because that's that's where your future lies once they discover you've been talking to Southerners. Yeah. I think that's probably illegal <laughs> as well. Uh, how much of this is a kind of a... Uh, a grab, as, as you say, at, uh, at forming WA's own nation mm -hmm. state because they've been drilling that way for the best part of 100 years and they've now got a real opportunity to do it. Is it a kind of a clandestine attempt at that? Well, look, West, West Australia's we're not mentioned in the constitution. We, we almost didn't make it to federation. And then in 1932, we one of the few referendums that has passed in this country was for us to leave. Um, so there's always been that sort of undercurrent of um, that secessionist undercurrent, I suppose. And I think for the moment, mm. look, it, it just plays exceedingly well um, in, the, in, the, in the political narrative as it is, in the political landscape as it is, um, because, you know, um, the, the hard border has been incredibly popular. Um, of course, the, mm -hmm. the consequences of that, I don't think, have sheeted home yet. As Gemma Tognini likes to say, you know, the WA economy can't stay keto. You know, we can't live off our own fat forever. Um, but at the moment, people <laughs> are suffering minimal consequences, so they think it's all okay. I mean, Mark McGowan's not a complete fool. I mean, he knows that, you know, that beautiful five or seven billion dollar budget surplus or whatever it is, that would dissipate very quickly if he had to start um, forking out for things, you know, like borders or like your own army, all those sorts of things. Well, here's, here's, a, here's a good reason, Caroline. Here's a good reason not to award the submarine contract to Western Australia because they wouldn't share them, you know. They're ours. Come and get them. We have, um, we have. And uh, it's, a, it's kind of a dicey manoeuvre. Just another thing, just quickly before Simon uh, has, a, has a go. He's very flexible, your Premier, on, um, on the percentage of vaccinations required before he even considers opening the borders. It keeps moving up. And uh, there was someone mentioned on radio the other day here, he might go all the way to 100%, but he can actually go beyond that if we get to a point where booster shots are needed, it could be beyond 100%, 110, 115. Well, when do you think it's actually going to kick in? Well, I, I don't know yet. And I think, you know, he's very flexible because polling tends to be very flexible. You know, he loves, he's mad for a focus group, um, Premier McGowan. So, look, I think what will happen is, well, I think he's playing a very hard um, and very fast, but a very short-term game because ultimately... Um, really when you look at things the landscape hasn't really changed domestically and i mean including the other part of australia which we are tenuously attached to not much has really changed in the last 18 months but once new south wales and victoria really start to move towards that 80 percent we are going to see marked changes in the way that we live and quite frankly all you need to start doing in new south wales is start flying people to bali because the minute West Australians see that New South Welshmen and Victorians are all flying to Bali and they're all getting a tan and they're all getting cheap tattoos, that there will, I think, start to um, start to 
cause a bit of change here because then people are going to ask, well, why not us as well? You know, we've been in this for Mm. the same amount of time. We've done all the right things. You actually can't keep us locked up forever. And I think it is going, there's going to have to be a little bit of that jealousy over the fence um, before you start to see a marked change in the political um, opinions here in WA. But they have already started moving. I'd really like someone to do some polling. I would love to see the difference now as to say six months ago because I think it is already starting to wear thin to an extent, particularly when you're talking about people here in WA, although we're dragging the chain on vaccination rollout, the people here who have had both their shots who are now asking, well, I've done what you've asked me to do. Why can't I go overseas? Why can't I go interstate? You know, you can't even... That he's talking about separating people again from their families for Christmas and you can't mm. even come in even if you quarantine for 14 days and have had double vaccination. Like on what planet is that acceptable? On what possible health advice uh, is that policy made? None me thinks. Well, maybe, maybe the end game for him <laughs> is to, if he were not going to stop at 80 or 90%, maybe they could just put Pfizer in the water along with fluoride. Maybe that might suit him. I don't know. Maybe that's the answer. Who knows? But- I, I think I think something, something's in the water over there. Carolyn, that's a great insight into what's going to motivate Western Australia um, to um, to end the lockdowns. The um, the denial of getting a, a dolphin a dolphin tattoo on your ankle and a tramp right. stamp. But the, the thing for the government here, sorry, just one more point if, if I can go. Our health system is in absolute crisis here in WA. You know, last month we had over 6,000 hours of ambulance ramping. Um, I had a friend whose son broke his finger um, playing weekend sport and he went to emergency and it took four hours for him to be triaged. Um, the, the roof or part of the ceiling in the ER of Royal Perth Hospital, or as I call it, the Royal Caracas Hospital, fell in last weekend. We have a chronic nurse shortage. We have a chronic doctor shortage. We actually can't afford to have um, uh, COVID come into WA because our health system can't deal with the normal throughput. And Ben Harvey of the West, he does a, um, a short video each night called Up Late. And he dealt with this issue very, very well in relation to how Labor government came in, started slashing hospital spending, and now we are reaping the consequences of that. It's, um, I was going to ask about um, the um, going back to the AUKUS alliance again, is that, yes, um, McGowan's expressed, uh, you know, sort of fairly uh, muted disapproval of, of anything that comes out of Canberra right now. But do you think that uh, one of the uh, one of the side issues of that is that that um, by 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 uh, by irritating the Chinese again, that they the, you you guys over there were just about to renegotiate um, getting rid of those crayfish uh, into China again, <laughs> and this is actually this is actually be the depth charge in those in those negotiations. And we've gone right back to having to offload. Um, West Australian crayfish at you know at affordable prices on the God. domestic market. I mean, how can that possibly? Yeah, to, I, I mean it's absurd. It's unprecedented. West Australians can actually afford crayfish. I know. Oh, I'm sick of <laughs> crayfish. I don't know about the rest of you. I'm sick of the bloody stuff. If I, if I ate another crayfish tomorrow, oh, I just you know. By the way, by the way, I I know a bit about that industry because I I don't know whether you remember it. Nobody here saw it, but I did an advertising campaign over there on behalf of the crayfish families uh, where the catch line was keep your claws off yeah, our craze yeah. mr kelly do you remember that fabulous i did that campaign fabulous <laughs> well the thing is here in wa as you well know mining is such a large part of our economy i think it's about 48 percent um most i think if not all of it most of it goes to china um our, our economy is very dependent on it um, and obviously, I mean, you know, iron ore prices have really um, hit the skids, the, you know, the last couple of months, but even the last week or so. But prior to that, they're incredibly high. And um, there's some very serious royalties coming into WA on the back of that, um, hence this burgeoning surplus. Um, and uh, West Australia and Mark McGowan has, has 
you know, for since since he's been in, at the very least, has had a very close relationship with with China, and he um, he understands the short term. Um, state imperative of having a good relationship with China. I think that perhaps he doesn't necessarily either care or doesn't appreciate the the more longer term Australia wide um, consequence or not consequences but implications um, in relation to to the relationship with China. And he's chipped the federal government several times um, in the last eighteen months or at least you know post COVID um, in relation to things that they have said about China, which. You know, the Chinese, are they're very upset about, well, pretty much every single thing that we have done um, in the last 18 months. And they, they have, they've mastered the art of, of gaslighting Australia and the federal government has held pretty firm. And I think that probably makes Mark McGowan quite nervous. Um, but I think that that's probably where some of that, some of that sentiment comes from. And he, he knows it's easier and less there's less consequences flowing if he has a crack at, at Canberra than perhaps if he has a crack at the Chinese regime. I mean, given, given how bad relationship, relations with China are now, even between WA and China, uh, even though China's, uh, WA is showing the Chinese that they're on their side and in all this, um, while things, it'll take a while for things to get back to really uh, good terms. In the meantime, maybe WA should strike up if they haven't already done so, some back-channel relations with Scotland, because Scotland is uh, Scotland is, is is the UK's WA. Really. Oh. The difference being that. Come on, Simon, <laughs> stretching that too far. You tried the Scottish Chardonnay; it's appalling. If, if, the, if the, the, the the difference between the difference between if if WA go for secession from the federation yeah. now while they've still got all all that uh, economic strength that you just talked about all that resource strength, that's why Scotland should have done it twenty five years ago when there was still some oil in yeah, the North yeah. Sea, but it's all gone yeah. now. So, but they're still waving that flag, the Scots. They are, yeah. Well, I think I think you're better off trying to strike up a a closer relationship with China. I mean, you've got a lot in common. You're both one-party states, essentially. Well, I mean- actually, that's not true. That's not true. If you have a look at the Chinese um, parliament, they actually have more opposition representation than Western Australian parliament. <laughs> but that wouldn't be hard. I, I, I don't think you... I don't think you have an... I, I, I was over there, as you know, in June. I, we found this brief window and managed to sneak across the border and, and met... Uh, very nice chap called David David Honey, who purports to be the leader of the Liberal Party uh, and would be the leader of the opposition, except that they're not the largest opposition party the Nationals are. And there's only two of them, so they don't even have party status. I believe he doesn't... He was quite miffed because he doesn't get a official limo. Nice chap and all that, but, you know... <laughs> I don't quite. Well, he doesn't need a limo, does he? He needs a tandem bicycle. He can get around on <laughs> the, that. And the, there's several. I mean, that there, in a number sense, is an issue um, in WA. The other thing that is an issue is even the opposition, whether it's the Nationals or whether it's the Liberals, being able to get um, good airtime in the media. And I know that that there has been, um, well, at least until, you know, maybe last week, an issue in Victoria, um, and perhaps also in Queensland, but, you know, the, the West Australian has been like Perth Pravda. It has just, it has just been so tight on the government line. Um, it, they're basically been stenographers and it's been very, very difficult um, for any opposition voice or any opposition party to get any airtime at all, which um, makes an already difficult situation even harder. Caroline, uh, what's the mood on Talkback Radio? My old friend Gareth Parker, I believe, is uh, one of your better rated hosts yep. there uh, yep. in Perth. Is the, the, the mood, the vibe, if you will, on, on uh, Talkback uh, super positive for maintaining lockups and uh, maintaining border closures. Look, I think it's I think it's changing. Um, I um, I listen to both. I tend to listen to both a bit of Gareth, uh, Gareth and Liam. Um, I actually did Liam's part of Liam's show this morning, Liam Bartlett. And I think if you you were looking at this twelve months ago, 
it was very, very supportive of the hard border. Um, and probably I reckon about late August, early September, you started to see the first little bits of fraying um, of people's patients, um, but it was only minor. But, you know, it's like turning the, the Queen Mary, right? It's a, it's a very slow um, it's very slow in the beginning. But, you know, I would say particularly this side of maybe the last six weeks, the last eight weeks, you know, we've really seen a change um, in in that talk back um, vibe um, that people are really now, look, I've, I've had my vaccination, you know, I've done what you've asked me to do. You know, I want to see my family. I want to run my business. I want to get on with my life. I can't just sit here and exist um till the end of till the end of days you know we've we vaccinated all the people who are um at most at risk of having serious implications from catching covid can the rest of us please um get on with it and and i would say that there is um the best part of the last eight weeks and and that's what's so fabulous about talkback um and not just six pr but even the ABC and, and other places, you know, Talkback is where the punter gets their platform. And so I always find that it's those changes in the in the political um, the political feeling or sentiment, you know, Talkback is the first place that you, you see them crop up. Do you have your grand final ticket, Caroline? No, no, I don't. Um, I got offered, I actually got offered to be, I got offered a box, a spot in one of the boxes for the weekend and I said no. Um, I was I was really outspoken about um, people from New South Wales not being able to come into WA on compassionate grounds and I can't then, um, I can't, I, I'm a lot of things, Tim, but I'm not a hypocrite. And so I can't be part of the distraction. Good girl. I can't That's be, excellent. I can't be part of the distraction. I refuse to be part of the spectacle um, to just, you know, it is. It's a distraction from the punter for everything else that's going on. And I just think it is so wrong to not allow people to come in on compassionate grounds but to allow the football. If both if both were okay, then I wouldn't have a problem with it. But the, the really important Thing. You know, they talk about the grand final being a once in a lifetime. That's rubbish. You know, holding the hand of someone you love as they die, that there is the once in a lifetime moment. And that's what we should be yeah. prioritizing over everything else. So, yes, I was offered a spot. No, I'm not going because I'm not a hypocrite. Good on you. Stay at home and cook up some crayfish, yeah. that'd be my advice. And uh, <laughs> say hi to your folks up there in Hyden. And um, I will, I will say hello. And we'll get up there one day, I'm sure. I think we should, uh, the rest of the country should show its, you know, this is not a time for factionalism and no. bickering between between states. I think we should show our solidarity with WA by, and, and, and at the same stroke, make some huge gesture for the environment, is that all these billions of discarded face masks, right? Yes. We should sew them all together, link them all together, and stretch it between the bite and Darwin, and it's the we, we create the we create the world's first virus proof virus proof fence, the only prophylactic the only prophylactic that we're visible from space. Love it. A lovely gesture, Love I'm it. sure. Look, thank you very much for our, our guest from the West for joining us, Caroline Russo. Thank you for any time, gents. Thank you. Thank you. Cheers. Caroline DeRusso, she's welcome anytime on this podcast. You're listening to Radio 4CC. We, we're 4 we're four C now? I'm a number? Is that... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, BCC, Blair Cato Collins. It's amazing, isn't it? We got, we got through the first third of the program without talking about COVID, and it's only when we go to WA we're confronted with it. But look, I'm... This haircut business—it's just, oh, I, you know, I went, I went to the optometrist today to get a new pair of glasses, and they were very helpful, you know. And I said at the end, I suppose you don't do haircuts, do you? I mean, I'd give anything for one. <laughs> Am I being vain? <laughs> uh, John Anderson was telling me. I sort of did an interview with John Anderson in the week, and um, he had a beautiful, nicely, nice cropper hair, neatly trimmed. I said, "Who did that?" He said, "My son Nick." I said he's a shearer. He said, "Yeah, that's right." Oh, that's fantastic! 
I didn't ask whether he used a wide comb or not. Anyway, did you ask if he'd been dagged? <laughs> that's good. That's I know about that's the, the, the horrible. I used to work for the Australian Wool Corporation, and um, it's not dagging that, that, that that's horrible. It's mulesing. Do you know what that is? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yes, I do. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah Every yeah. one of the male persuasion winces once they understand the concept of mulesing now, because it's uh, mu- it's invasive. Let's say mu- mulesing is 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 the entire reason why you cannot buy. Australian merino wool garments uh, on on Fifth Avenue in New York because PETA, the, the people for the ethical treatment of animals, found out about musing and they they basically staked out every Saks Fifth Avenue, every big store, saying with pictures of of, of um, sheep that have did, been. Did mused. anyone um, <laughs> show them pictures of sheep that haven't been mules and are dying of fly strike? Yeah. The, the, that's right. They, yeah, exactly. I mean, they, they just, you know, they, they, they learn this, they skim the subject and they get outraged. They don't know the truth. And people are just not connected yeah. with the land anymore. I mean, I, I quite like, I think it was H.G. Nelson that said we need to acquaint ourselves better with farming by bringing back backyard abattoirs, you know, make people kill their own animals before they get Oh, well, them. this is, a, this <laughs> is something, um, you know, someone brought up with me online when I was talking about, you know, issues around, you know, eating meat and so on, and they're like, they were saying something like you'd be less less inclined to um, eat meat if you'd seen the animal be slaughtered. Um, my family are farmers. I've I've eaten tons of meat where I've you know seen literally the source of it and it's um it's demise from the uh the, from the living realm. So no nah, no big deal for, no no big deal for me, mate. I mean I've I've shot rabbits and eaten them. Jesus Christ, I've shot ducks. The, de- the definition of being human is we, we do kill them before we yeah. eat them. And we're not except, animals, except for oysters. You know. They're the only things we eat alive, which is another reason to eat oysters. One of life's great pleasures. Well, the, no, 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 oysters are really important. I'll tell you why. Because if it wasn't for oysters, we would technically be, we would be carrion eaters. We'd be like vultures. Mm. That we only think, eat things that are already dead. You know, we're not true carnivores because, like, true carnivores yeah. eat things while they're still alive. Thank you, oysters. Well, we've done the cooking segment, yeah. so I think we're getting to the back end of the newspaper. <laughs> Must be time for sports. Sports. That's your cue, Simon. Well, I, I think it's good. Sports is. It's about time we 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 tackled sports in, on this podcast, but obviously uh, for the right reasons. I I uh, I, I was. Um, I've still. I'm, I'm still wondering what's going to happen. They haven't resolved this ongoing issue about Afghanistan's cricket team. Because we were all set to play, which would have been wonderful. Uh, Australia was going to play, uh, I don't know when it was set up for, mm. not very far away, I think. We were going to play the Afghan national side. And then, of course, the uh, withdrawal from Kabul. And, and of course, the Taliban are now recognised as the official government. And they've already banned women in sport. And according to the International Cricket uh, uh, Commit- uh, Council's rules, a country that doesn't allow women to play sport in fact, the country that doesn't let women to play cricket cannot field a side which Australia, other members are allowed to play. But I thought of a great, a great uh, resolution for this, which which should keep everybody happy. Is that remember when um, before the Tokyo Olympics, and there were all these we we, we, did, we revealed that all these Russian athletes uh, had been taking drugs, and so as a result of that huge expose of the of the of the drug abuse amongst Russian athletes in previous Olympics. Russia was banned from the last Olympics. Um, so what they did, it, they got over it by forming a new group called the ROI, which was the Russian Olympic Committee, sorry, ROC, which was actually the very mm. small minority of Russian athletes who hadn't been found guilty. And they competed. So they got around it. So all we're going to do for the Afghans is give them another name. And I thought of the perfect name. The ta- you know, the you know, it's the, you know, under the new regime of the Taliban, they could call their cricketers Pakistan B. <laughs> yeah. Or the, ta- or the Talibats. Or the Talibats. No, don't go there. Don't no, go there. No, Simon no, Button. Simon Button. Can we, can we call it, can we, can we, can we, can we rename our rugby union side the All Blacks B? Would that work? <laughs> no, you, no, because I, I need to talk about them as well. Anybody who follows rugby union, which is a 
increasingly small number of people in Australia, and with and with every reason. I've heard of it. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, my 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 league friends call it kick and clap, which I think <laughs> is uh, suitably dismissive. Um, but uh, but uh, they've recently, you know, after an endless succession of uh, of defeats and humiliations on the international stage, last week they beat the world champions. But they beat they beat the world champions because they brought back one talisman, you know, you know, fantastic talisman player, uh, Quade Cooper, who's like a lot of great players, ex rugby league, uh, but he's a fantastic player, and he came back into the side after being exiled and in disgrace for, I don't know, committing some breaching some regulation or, you know, uh, by what Alan Jones calls the Blazed Brigade. Of, of snobs and uh, you know private schoolboys who run the run the franchise in this country. Anyway, he came back on and played a blinder, and they beat, admittedly only by a couple of points, they beat the side. Now, it's not just the fact that he's a great player; it's the fact that Quade Cooper has is more heavily tattooed than any other Australian rugby union player. And I think if you look at the all over the world now, the the correspondence of athletic excellence in foot, football codes and and uh, uh, and tattoos, body ink, is you, you can't go past it. And I think that they found a way of introducing performance-enhancing drugs via <laughs> the tattooist's needle. Well, it's mate, mate, uh, it's working for Lewis Hamilton. He's the most heavily tattooed of all the Formula One drivers, and he's won the last six championships or something like that. Well, that uh, except that um, he's now up against. Well, there the, you go. So far as I'm aware, untattooed youngster called Josper Stappen. Well, sorry, Max Verstappen. Josper's he's uh, also Formula One driver father. But uh, Max seems to be tattoo-free, but he's toweling uh, Hamilton up a bit, and um, they keep crashing into each other. It's very entertaining. If you're, um, if you're not, like me, a petrol head, but are driven to um, potentially deadly conflict, uh, tune into uh, F1 for the rest of the season because it's, um, it's getting very tasty. Your your uh, your your uh, motor racing expertise, Tim. Um, in our last podcast, you mentioned the appalling, uh, the atrocity that was the Le Mans mm. nineteen fifty five race, and as a result of that, I watched a documentary about it. It was quite astonishing what happened there. Mm. Oh, the, the aftermath um, was one of the one of the worst stories out of that, Simon. Was um, uh, in those days, the track had the pits on one side of the track and a grandstand on the other. And there was a tunnel underneath so people could move from one side of the track to the other. Obviously, you can't do it when cars are running around on the surface, so a tunnel. And uh, a chap left the pits. The race is all happening as normal. Everything's going fine. It was a beautiful sunny day in, uh, in France. He's in the tunnel, and when he emerged on the grandstand side, it was after the crash had occurred. So he left Serenity and, you know, relative normality and emerged to find just nothing but carnage. I mean, 81 people dead and it was like pretty a jolting moment, really. Well, look, 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 this brings me to an important point. I mean, I I, I, I had a very great um, review of last week's podcast from my old mate, Andrew Mayle, who uh, lives up in uh, Wallaroo in South Australia. And he said, look, he loved the show, but very important to end in an upbeat note. You know, we've got to leave people feeling good about themselves for the weekend. So, Well, I've um, just described a lot of dead Frenchmen, so what do you want? Come on. <laughs> <laughs> Simon, can you help us with this redemptive moment we're seeking? Well, I mean, I mean, if you want to go French again for a second, we, we you know, I, I said earlier on that, uh, that, you know, the French were mighty, mighty pissed off that yet again the Anglosphere is... Uh, and, and by the way, I, th- I think that uh, let's let's end on a really upbeat note. Let's just say this is just not an this is just not a, a, a separate historical important historical event. The the AUKUS is the beginning of something. It's the beginning of what I like. Perhaps you know, perhaps you could call me you know fanciful, but I suspect it might be the beginning of uh, of a new world order, a new Anglo Anglo Anglosphere order. And um, you know, uh, we'll, we you know we'll. It'll come back, you know, unlike a lot of... This one will last a long time. The reason the American uh, imperial America didn't last long is that unlike the the three great empires in history are the British Empire, the Roman Empire, and the Ottoman Empire. 
and they all have three three things in common. So they have one major thing in common. They're all cultures which put great importance on taking a bath. The Roman baths, the, the <laughs> Turkish baths, the, 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 the British like a bath. Occasionally. Occasionally. Britain has a place called Bath. It has a, it has a place called Bath. You, you know, the, the truth is you can't plan uh, an empire uh, uh, and the, the, an invasion and, you know, uh, and the occupation of a country. You can't plan it by jumping in the shower for 10 minutes like the Americans. You've got to lie there, soak in the bath for a few hours, work it all out. Otherwise, it's going to go wrong. You, know, you and, never and, get the respect of the native people unless you clean. You know, that's right, you know. and and because the, the the Turks took it even further, they didn't just have a they didn't just build an empire on taking a bath. The, you know, they also the Ottoman Empire was also taking a bath and putting your feet up. That's why it's called the Ottoman Empire. And uh, <laughs> well, I think we should we should end with that's, a celebration of 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 the Anglosphere, which is a word that's uh, fallen out of favour, I gather, with our intelligentsia friends but yeah. uh, it, i mean we, I think so. it is a bit you know we were we were dead fortunate to inherit that tradition all the institutions that came with it and um, it's not been replicated anywhere else has it i mean the, the, the whole idea of the rule of law liberal democracy uh, you know fair judicial system all this stuff right um, it, it is something to celebrate and and it is enduring and that's what i what i love about AUKUS, it's the Anglosphere back together. And, 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 and Canada and New Zealand, they're, they're lagging at the moment because they've got extreme left-wing um, um, uh, leaders, but they'll get there, they'll get, they'll get on board eventually. You know, when, when, they, when, when, when Jacinda, when, the, when New Zealanders realise that you, you do need these, these, uh, these alliances, they, they are important. When they realise when the, when the Chinese warships cruise into Auckland Harbour, and the best they can do is, 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 is perform the world's biggest Harker on the on the beach. It's you know they they realise they need us. Building a podcast was a long experience. I mean, you've got a lot of things to put together. But I, I have some good news, chaps. We have now our own website. Oh, really? Well, uh, yeah. And you you simply have to go to www.nxcc2k6nlvr8odpswiaph.cactivatefm. <laughs> Easily memorised. It's just that easy. Is there a is there a tongue that doesn't roll off? I don't. I don't think there is. We've got to work at this. I think. Anyway, we we we're there. The website's there. It's just kind of getting something that people can type in without going bonkers. So, and and I, I think an email address too would be good. We'd Absolutely, love to. but uh, yeah, we might might need to work on that uh, that website title. I've not seen something like that since back in the old uh, AOL days of the uh, the mid nineties. That's uh, it's pretty out there. Anyway, uh, Simon Collins, Tim Blair, uh, thanks again for for a very amusing end to the weekend. Uh, let's hope if other people are half as amused as we will, they'll have a raucous <laughs> good time. Oh, everyone should have a raucous orcus. Thanks again to Alec Bennett for keeping us vaguely on track as our producer. And we'll be back again next week for another edition of... What are we going to call it next week? Any ideas? I don't know. Make it up on the fly, mate. Yeah. Suggestions on a postcard. Yeah. <laughs> One, two, three, four. Get my shoes and out the door. Five, I'm alive. Six, seven, eight. Feeling great. Nine, gonna shine. Life is good. I'm doing fine. Ten, gonna do it right and do it again. Yeah. Look into the sky with all the beautiful color. But there's more than just for me. So gonna share it with another. I got to show to give. Let out. I want to sing and shout. Take a look and see a beautiful morning that turns into a beautiful evening. And together make a beautiful life And if you wanna see, then come along with me, that's right And if you want a good tomorrow It's pretty simple, got a final life to follow And if you do, you have a future real bright And it's a combination of consistency Come on and say, oh, 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 oh Come on, come on, come on and sing, yeah Come on, come on, come on and sing Just a little bit, move to be free Keep my head up, don't forget to be me Like I want a million dollars, like I get to pay dirt Gonna smile from here to here, the kind that makes your face hurt And we'll laugh, jump, sing loud Not afraid to shout about being happy, living it out Take a look and see a beautiful morning That turns into a beautiful evening And together make a beautiful life And if you wanna see, then come along with me, that's right
Just get sick, come on and say, oh. 